Welcome. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. While you're doing that, uh, there is a handout today. Now, this is an auspicious moment because I do this like once every three years. Okay, so congratulations on being here for the day that I have a handout. Um, But if you didn't get a handout, will you please raise your hand and my Sherpas in the back will bring one to you. So if you didn't get a handout, just put your hand up. They'll, uh, they'll make sure you get one. You're going to need it for later because this is an interesting little passage. And, you know, I, I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. I like to mix things up. And so I t- told you about how the ancients don't, they don't talk the way we talk. They don't argue the way we argue. They, they, they don't align things the way we align. If you turned in First Peter as a paper on suffering, for instance, I think your teacher would probably say to you, wow, that's great information, but we need to work on your organization. Because we, we put everything together. If you're going to have, you know, point A and point B, then we do point A and we do it fully and completely, and then we do point B. And these guys, ah, they tend to talk a little about point A, and then they talk about point B, and then they talk about point A, and then they talk about point B, and sometimes they throw a C and a D in there just for fun because it struck them, and then they're back to A and B again, and I I call it looping. They just, I mean, they're they're still moving forward. They're still driving on an argument, but you're going along and suddenly like, whoa, didn't we already talk about that? Where did that come from? And so remember last week, it was all about Peter telling us our attitude towards suffering. That started back in verse 12. If you think about these as sort of paragraphs, last paragraph started, uh, excuse me, uh, last paragraph started back in verse, chapter four, verse one, and talking about suffering. Since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourself with the same attitude. And that paragraph goes down to the end of verse six. Now look at verse 12, the next paragraph, what we'll do next week. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that's tested you. Verse 13, the sufferings of Christ. Verse 14, if you're insulted. Verse 15, if you suffer, right? We're going to talk about suffering again. We talked about suffering last paragraph. We talk about suffering next paragraph. You would expect we're going to talk about suffering in this paragraph. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way they do it. So read along with me. I'm going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read Peter's next paragraph. It's 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We are not talking about suffering. Or at least we're not talking about it overtly. Remember last week, that whole big section we looked at. There's only one command in the whole section. It's right there at the beginning. Arm yourselves. That's the only thing he tells us to do. Arm yourselves, and it's an attitude. It's not even really something you do. It's not like go take action. It's think. This is how you got to think about it. Prepare yourself. Be ready. That's the only command he made in that whole paragraph. How many commands are there in this paragraph? I mean, like half a dozen at least. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Pray. Love one another. 
Offer hospitality. Use your gifts. Speak like this. Serve like this. It's like he saved them all up from the last time, and now he dumps them all into this paragraph. Last week, it was all, okay, this is how we're going to think about this. And this week, it's all, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Last week was the theory, and now Peter's getting into the practical. What does it look like when we suffer? Haven't you ever asked God that question? When things were going wrong, when stuff was collapsing around you, how many times do we ask God, God, what should I do? God, what do you want me to do? Wow. Here's a bunch of stuff God wants you to do. Or to do Right smack dab in the middle of suffering. Talked about suffering last paragraph. Just going to talk about suffering. Next paragraph, right smack dab in the middle of suffering. Here's all these things that God wants us to do. So we're going to kind of walk through this, only we're going to try and be super practical. Like we're either going to do these things or we're going to talk about, okay, how would I do these? What would it look like for me? How, how do I actually do this? So he starts, <clears throat> verse 7, the end of all things is near. Now, as I thought about that, I, at first when I was going through this paragraph, I kind of ignored that. I just thought, yeah, yeah, thanks, sure, right, 2,000 years later, we're still going. But then as I kind of pondered it, I thought, okay, now wait a minute. Peter's talking about where people are suffering. Like they're being persecuted for being Christians. You've heard me say, we don't know exactly what's happening to them. These churches are in modern-day Turkey. But we know what's going on in other places in the Roman Empire. This is early 60s AD. This is the first time that the government has started to come after Christians. Like it's systematically in places opposing Christians and persecuting them. If that was happening to me and someone said, the end is near, I think that would be encouraging. Like this isn't going to go on forever. That this, isn't, this isn't endless. It kind of seems that way, doesn't it? When you're suffering, I had a, uh, a crown put in on Monday and for various reasons, I'll be happy to explain to you, my bottom teeth don't numb very well. And so I got to feel a lot of the work to remove all of my tooth. And you know, when that's going on, it feels like it's going on forever and ever. The little of the drill, it just, it just keeps going. But of course it doesn't. It's like 15 minutes or something like that. It, it, the, the end is near. That's a great thing to remember when we are suffering, when things are going wrong, when things are falling around. I appreciate that Peter says that, the end of all things, all of it. God's going to wrap it all up. The end of all things is near. Now, don't remember, I think I told you this last month, that that line in the lion, it's not in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, but it's in one of that series of books where someone is asking Aslan, who is the Christ figure, you know, when, when are you going to do this? When is this going to happen? And Aslan says to the girl, soon, my daughter. It'll, I'll do it soon. And she says, but when is soon? And Aslan says to her, I call all time soon. The end of all things is near. From the God that calls all time near. But whatever it is, it will not go on forever. God will not allow it. Whatever we suffer, whatever's happening, when things collapse around us, God will not allow it to go on forever. The end of all things is near. Therefore, 
Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. There's a lot of places in scripture that tell us to pray all the time. Pray without ceasing, pray without stopping. All these things that the Bible says, it, it sounds like, and I think it's something like, we ought to have this kind of constant conversation, this constant connection in our minds with God. That, that just as we move throughout our day, we're aware of him, we're talking to him, that, that, that there's, there's just this reality of his presence. But this sounds different from that, doesn't it? Be alert. Be of sober mind so that you can pray. Like this isn't just have a, some nebulous connection to God throughout the day. Be, be talking to him. This is super intentional. Be alert. Be sober minded. Like this is something where we've got to do it. We've got to sit down and expend energy. So we're trying to be super practical. All right. So let's do that. Let's do exactly what Peter says. I'm going to walk you through one way to do this. Now, it is not the only way to pray. There's myriads of frameworks. There's myriads of ways to pray. I, so handout time, okay, this is why you've got this. This is called the Daily Examine. This was developed by St. Ignatius. He lived in the 1500s. He founded the Jesuits. One of the things he discovered as people would join his monastic order is that they didn't know how to pray. They didn't know how to do this. They didn't know how to sit down and be intentional about prayer. And so he taught them. This is the way he taught them. Now, again, there's lots of others. Hey, our own Becky Terry. Becky, are you in here? Usually over there. Becky, wait. Our own Becky Terry has written a book on prayer called Tie Your Apron On in the Kitchen of Prayer because she uses the acronym APRON, A-P-R-O-N. Okay? So I'm going to teach you a way right now to pray. You could go get Becky's book on Amazon. Hey, in that case, you could even go ask the author. You're going to have a tough time asking St. Ignatius because he died in the mid-500s. But you know, Becky's right here if you want to use that one. Some people use the Lord's Prayer. Some people use the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. They're all just ways to help us do this, to focus our minds, to be alert, okay? So I'm going to walk you through this. This is called the Daily Examine. It is simply a way to focus our minds, to be intentional about prayer. So do this with me. I just want you to close your eyes wherever you are right now, and I just want you to try and be aware of God's presence. This is step one. St. Ignatius said, be still. Be still. We don't do that that often in our world. Just sit there with your eyes closed. And, and I'm going to shut up in a minute, and we're going to have like a minute of silence, which I know is going to feel, again, it's going to feel like having the tooth drilled on. It will go on forever. It will not. It will only go on 60 seconds. Be aware that God is with you. If you are a follower of Christ, God's spirit is inside you. If that makes no sense to you, it, like, like that, you know, that's not part of, of how you understand God, just sit there and say to yourself, Lord, you are here with me. Lord, you are here with me. Remind yourself of a truth that maybe you're not aware of. So go ahead, do that for the next minute.
Step two, give thanks. Just want you to think about today, just since you got up. That's it, just today since you woke up. And I want you to try and just replay everything that's happened to you since you woke up. But as you replay it in your mind, say thank you to God. Say thank you that you woke up. Say thank you that the heat was on, I hope, in your house. Say, when you brushed your teeth, say thank you for your toothbrush and thank you for your teeth. Whatever you did this morning, just go through the morning, up until right now, so just, just a few hours you've been awake. Just review your morning with thankfulness. And yes, there's probably things that happened this morning that you are not thankful for. That's okay. Scripture says to give thanks in everything. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to justify it. You don't got to tell it. Just, just say to God, thank you. Yep, for when in the dark, I kicked the edge of my bed and stubbed my toe and it bled and whatever else. Just say, thank you. That God has reasons for the things he allows. Just review your morning with thankfulness. Step three, reflect. Ask yourself right now, like you've, you've sat, you've been still, you've re- reviewed your morning, you've been thankful. Ask yourself, what are you feeling right now? Having done that, how do you feel? Like what's, what's going on inside you? If you get rid of all the busyness and all the other stuff that, that, that comes in, and keeps us from paying any attention to our souls. What's going on inside you? What, what, are, you, what, what, what are you rejoicing about? What, what are you glad about this morning? Where, where are you happy? Yeah, what, what wasn't so great? What's going on inside you? Just ask yourself what you're feeling. If there's things that have come up in the midst of this that, that you are grateful, then be grateful. Tell God that. Rejoice. If there's things that have happened that you're like, oh, wow. I didn't handle that well, did I? Um, then apologize to God. Like, just, just reflect. What are you feeling? What's going on inside you when you're quiet? When all the, the busyness around you isn't keeping you from hearing? What's going on? Reflect on what's going on inside you for the next minute.
Now, finally, step four, pray. We've done what Peter says. We've been, we've made ourselves alert. We've made ourselves pay attention. We're sober-minded. We know what's going on inside us. Now, all the stuff, but like, and maybe there's one thing as you were reflecting. There's just this one main thing. Maybe there's a myriad of things going on. Just pick one. If there's only one, that's easy. If there's a myriad of things that are, are in your soul right now, great, just pick one. Pick one that, that you're super excited about. Pick one that you're super worried about. Pick one and give that to God. Just one thing that has come up for you this morning. Take that and, and, and give it to God. Again, whatever that means, maybe it's giving it to him with rejoicing and gratitude. Maybe that's giving it to him with, with concern and worry and anxiety. Whatever it is, just pick just one thing and, and, and tell God, look, I, I, please take this here. I mean, for me, usually it's something that I don't know what to do with. It, usually what, what comes up in me when I'm quiet is things that, that the busyness of my life I use to keep tamped down so I don't hear them. And then when I hear it, then I've got to give it back to him. I've got to say, look, I don't know what to do about this. You've, you've got to do something. Whatever it is, just take the next minute and ask God, your God, to take care of it, to deal with it, to do what is best because everything he does is good. And then, again, just like we did at first, just sit quiet. See if he says anything to you. Wow. If you'll listen, a lot of times I find he'll talk. Now, step five, last step, hope. Remember, I've told you the word hope in English often means to wish. But hope in the language of the Bible means to expect. It's not something that we wish for. It's something that we expect. It's just not here yet. Step five, St. Ignatius said, is to hope, to orient yourself to trust. You have given something to the all-powerful, all-sovereign God of the universe. You have given something to the God who speaks to dead people and they get up because even the dead obey him. You have given an issue to the God who put every star in the sky and they sing to him. Whatever you have asked him to do, he can do it. There is nothing in the universe 
that can prevent him from acting. And scripture says when you pray, he always hears you and he always acts. It does not say he always does what you want. It says he always does what is right. Because he'll only do what is good. And let's face it, what we ask for isn't always good and right. But you have given to the sovereign, all-powerful Lord of the universe an issue, he will deal with it. He promises. So reorient yourself. Take a minute and remind yourself of these facts. That God is for you. That God loves you. That God likes you. That God wants to help you. That he is at work for your good. Even in the midst of the crazy insanity of the world around us. Even amidst of all the things stirring in your mind. He is at work for good and nothing will thwart him. Reorient your heart this morning to trust him because he is good. Amen. All right, you've got the sheet. You've got the handout. Uh, again, it's just one of many different ways. Get, get Becky's book, Use the Lord's Prayer. But have some way that helps you to do this. So uh, St. Ignatius told his monks to do this twice a day. Do it halfway through the day and do it at the end of the day. Just so they're reviewing the first half of the day and then they're reviewing the second half of the day. I don't do it twice a day, but I, I, I do it quite a bit. I find it super helpful. Now, I just took 10 minutes to go through that, right? You, you can go through this in two or three minutes. You can go through this in 30 or 40 minutes. However much time you want to spend. But prayer is a command in Scripture. Both the sort of connected to God throughout the day part and also this sort of let's, let's be intentional. Let's see what's going on inside us. Let's, let's give these things to a God who cares about us. So that's the first thing Peter says, to be alert, be of sober mind so you can pray. Verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And you've heard me say this before, love, there, there's different words for love in the Bible. This is the word you've probably heard, agape. It means devotion. It means to be devoted to one another. It's not actually, it's not a feeling. There, there are words for love that, that are feelings in the language of the scripture. This word is not a feeling. It's a, it's an act. Again, Peter's telling us to do things. Be devoted to each other because love covers over a multitude of sins. If you remember last week, Peter talked about how if you do what is right, you can expect the world, the non-Christian world, to abuse you for it. That's just going to be the reality of life. If you do what is right, if you follow God, then the world that doesn't follow God 
A is going to think you're an idiot, and B, they're going to tell you. <laughs> they're going to give you trouble. They're going to abuse you for it. And isn't it just as true that we abuse each other? That we shoot our own wounded? <laughs> that the church should be a safe place, but we are just as sinful as everyone else. And often, it's not. And Peter tells us to devote ourselves to each other. Because that is how we cover over a multitude of sins. And I, I, Okay, the, the, we're, we're getting into word of Jeff here, right? The, whole, the pray, the love, absolutely, that's in the Bible. You know, Peter's, Peter's Jewish. He grew up speaking Aramaic and Hebrew. He's writing in Greek, his second language. In his first language, Aramaic, to cover means to atone. It means to forgive. It means to deal with. I wonder if he's thinking that as he writes it. That love atones for sin. It forgives sin. It, it covers it. We sin against each other. There is no church on the planet that is not 100% full of sinners. And I don't think there's a Christian on the planet who hasn't been sinned against in their church. Nor honestly, if we're going to be really fair, who hasn't sinned against others. Churches are not perfect places. They are absolutely not places where we all do everything right. We rub up against each other. We harm each other. We say, wow, I have said some of the stupidest things inside these walls. And you have too. We need to love each other deeply, Peter says. We need to choose to be devoted to each other so that we forgive a multitude of sins because there are, there are a multitude. You talk to people who grew up Christian or were in the church for a while and why they left. Wow, so often it is because of what happened between them and other believers. So often it is because of the way we sin against each other. And Peter's not stupid. And especially in a church that is suffering, a church that is pressure and stress coming on it, you know that they are making bad decisions because we make bad decisions in the same circumstances. Where? Where do you need to devote yourself to someone or some situation so you can forgive it? You can cover it. You can atone for it. You got this nice little sheet. I want you to notice on the back of this little sheet, it's totally blank. Excellent place for you to take a note or two to remind yourself. Flip it over. We're gonna, remember, we want to do these things. We don't just want to talk about them. Where do you need to devote yourself to someone or something so you can forgive it? You can cover it. You can, you, like, yep. Again, Peter's not stupid. He's not saying it's not sin. He's not saying, oh, that's, that's not a big deal. It's a multitude of sin. Where have you suffered a multitude of sin in God's family? Yep, I mean, let's call it what it is. You have been sinned against. And what Peter says is, yeah, you're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to love deeply. You're going to have to devote yourself to loving deeply. You got prayer on one side, flip it over on the other. Is there anywhere you need to make a note to yourself? Yep, this is a place where I need to love. I need to choose. I need to make a conscious choice that I'm going to devote myself to this. 
even though they have sinned against me. Even though this is hard, even though they have hurt me, I choose to devote myself because God says so. Not because they deserve it or the situation is going to resolve itself or some self-help idea of you'll feel better, although those probably are all true. Because our Lord commands it. Where do you need to devote yourself? Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, I wonder about this one. Like of all the things you're going to pick, why does he pick hospitality? Again, we don't know what's happening. We don't know the ways they're being persecuted. Something's clearly happening given what he's writing. We don't know what it is, but we do know other places in the Roman Empire. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their houses, and some are even getting exiled. They're getting kicked out of the provinces they live in and forced to move. And I wonder if some of that's happening here. People are losing their houses, and other Christians are having to take them in. And that gets old, doesn't it? I mean, it's fun at first. <laughs> it's fun for the first couple weeks to all live jammed together in wherever you are. But oh, that gets old. You know, those guys who lost their house, they're not really doing great. And they ought to be out there looking for another place to live. But they're not because they're tired and they're hurting and they're traumatized. And now, again, I have no idea if this is going on, right? I'm just totally trying to put myself in this position and wonder of all the things that you would say to people, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So let me ask you, again, you got this nice blank piece of paper to write on. Is there any place you need to offer hospitality without grumbling? Is there any place you need to open yourself? Again, I, you know, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your car, maybe it's your time, I don't know what it is. Is there any place where you're, th you're, you're listening to this thinking, yeah, I know what that feels like. <sighs> Is there any place you need to make a little note to yourself that, yep, here's a place where I need to offer hospitality. I'm grumbling about it. I need to stop grumbling. Maybe not. Again, I don't know what's going on in this situation. I don't know what's going on in your situation. Any place you need to make a note to yourself to to offer hospitality. Yep, I, I, I need to be hospitable here. I need to allow this. I need to help this. I need to do this. And I need to stop complaining about it. Because that does not honor my Lord, who offers me everything without grumbling. Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. But the word he uses here for gift is not the normal word. You know, there, there, there's... Just an everyday generic word for a gift, right? Something somebody gives you. The word he uses here is, is kind of specific in the New Testament. It's the word charisma. Literally, the word charisma, which of course comes into English in the idea of charisma, but also the, in the church in charismatic. This word he uses, the word that gets used in the Bible for something, some ability, some something that God has given you when you became a Christian. Everybody is gifted. Everybody has gifts and talents. Some people are naturally athletic. You know, we could say, oh, the musicians, they're so gifted. We all, we all know what we mean. It takes nothing away from all the hard work they do. Different people have different gifts and abilities. But the scriptures say, if you are a follower of Christ, that when you said to God, Jesus, be my Lord, I believe you died for me, I believe you came back from the dead, that God's spirit instilled in you a charisma, a gift an ability, something. 
And it's not for you. Do you hear what he says here? Use it to serve others. And again, it's not the only place it talks about this. It's in lots of places in Scripture. It always says the same thing. God gave it to you to build up the body. He didn't give it to you just for you. He gave you some ability, some place where his spirit supernaturally is at work. And you're supposed to use that to serve your brothers and sisters, to serve the body of Christ. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? And again, some people seem to have multiple. Some people seem to, I'm a one-trick pony. You know, mine is teaching and that's pretty much it. But I know other people that have lots of them. Do you know what your gift is? And if you know, are you using it? Now, that doesn't mean are you getting paid, right? For the last 10 or so years, I've gotten paid to use my gift for you. But I had the gift of teaching 15 years ago and I wasn't getting paid for it. And I had the gift of teaching 25 years ago and I wasn't getting paid for it. I was using it in other ways in the body. I was leading a youth group in West Africa. I was leading a college ministry in Asia as a missionary. But are you using what God has given you? If you don't know, maybe we're not going to do this now. If you don't know what your gifts are, if you don't know the place where God's spirit is at work in you, then go to our website, dunwoodychurch.org, okay? Type slash gifts, G-I-F-T-S, slash gifts. There's no menu item for it. You just got to type it in. And you can download a spiritual gifts inventory. You know, it's a couple hundred questions you take that, be honest, about the things that interest you, the places you see God at work, the places other people see God at work, go through there. It'll give you an idea of where God's spirit is at work in you. It's not infallible. It's not the Bible. It's just you answering questions. But it'll give you an idea. And the the last 90% of this is just a listing of all these different gifts in Scripture, where where, where they come from in Scripture, why we call these things gifts, and what it means to have them, how God wants you to use them. If you don't know what your spiritual gift or gifts are, then go to dumbwittychurch.org slash gifts, G-I-F-T-S. Click the little button, download the, the PDF, take the test, see what it comes up with. Again, it's not infallible, but ask other people about it. If you're like, oh, if this thing tells you, oh, you know, I have the gift of hospitality, because hospitality is commanded, but it's also a gift. It's a place in some people where God's spirit is at work. Ask other people if they think that's true. Read the description about the gift of hospitality. They're like, oh yeah, wow, that's true. Yeah, I do think that, or I do act that, or I do, I do see those things. Find out how God has uniquely gifted you because you have a role to play in the church. And I don't just mean Dunwoody Community Church. I mean the church, big C. You have a role to play in God's church. He's gifted you for some reason. Again, maybe you're gonna get paid for it at some point. Maybe you're not. But you have a gift from God's spirit, a place where his spirit works in you. you know, and again, some of, we use the word charismatic to mean the ones that like you see, they're obvious, they're supernatural. But in the scripture, they're all supernatural. If you have the gift of prayer, that's supernatural. Use it. If you have the gift of hospitality, that's supernatural. Use it. Do you know your gifts? And are you using them? If you don't, take the test. Talk to the people. See what it tells you. Look for places. If you know where God has called you, then wow, use it. What, how does he want you to use that to build up his body? Maybe this local church, maybe the big church, maybe other churches, other ministries. Hey, it, it's all his. That's his job to tell you. But how has God gifted you? 
Just like Peter says, each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. If anyone speaks, you already saying, if you're speaking, and this doesn't mean, if, the way he writes it, it's not if anyone speaks, meaning some people speak and some people don't. He means when you speak. Like we all speak, it's just sometimes you choose to open your mouth and sometimes you don't. When you decide you need to open your mouth, he says, then that ought to come from God. And again, same thing about service. It's not that some people serve and some people don't. We all serve. But you got to choose when that is and where that is and how that is. In the times when you've chosen to serve, that power should come from God. You see, what, what's behind us should be God. The, the words we say, the power to serve, that should come from God. And it should go back to God for God's glory. You doing that? When you open your mouth, are you saying the things that God wants you to say? Are you even thinking about what God wants you to say? When you serve, when you act, when you do things, are you expecting his power to be at work? This morning, we had a computer problem. I was in IT for 20 years. I know a lot of things to do for a computer. In this case, I walked up to it, and I put my hand on it, and I said, God, please fix this computer. We need it this morning. Amen. I fully expect that computer to work this morning. Because we asked the God of the universe to do it. And there is no computer on the planet that can defy his will. How has God called you to be involved? That's, I was supposed to speak and that's what I was supposed to say. I was supposed to act and that's what I was supposed to do. What about you? When are you supposed to speak? When are you supposed to act? What are you supposed to say? Where's the power going to come? I can't tell a computer what to do. It won't let, Mr. Computer, it's not going to listen to me. Oh, but it'll absolutely listen to God if I speak the words of God to it. doesn't matter that it's a machine that runs on electricity. Remember, star, all stars in the sky. When you speak, do you say what God wants you to say? When you act, do you do the thing God wants you to do? Or even asking him about it? Nice blank sheet of paper. Maybe make a few notes. Is there any place that you think to yourself as we're talking, oh yeah, I need to talk. Oh, that's a place where I need to speak. Here's what, then, then God, what do you want me to say? Like that's on him. If scripture tells us to speak the words of God, then he's got to give you his words to speak. Any places we're talking about this, you're like, oh yeah, I need to speak there. Great, ask him what he wants you to say. Any places we're talking about that. That you're thinking, oh yeah, I, I need to do that. I need to serve. I need to act. Great, tell them you need the power to do it. Anyone who serves should do so with the strength God provides. Not the strength that we gin up in ourselves by trying really hard. That's on him. He said he'll do that. If there's places you're like, oh yeah, I need to act. I need to do that. God wants me to be involved. Then tell him he better empower you. Because he said it. Not us. We're not making this stuff up. We're just telling him what he's already told us. Where should you pray? Where should you love? Where should you speak? Where should you serve? Where do you need to make a couple notes to yourself this week so that, that you do this? So I'm gonna close in praying for us. And I'm just gonna ask God's spirit what I ask every week. What do you want us to do with this, Lord? 
It's your word. We're your servants. You are our God. As I pray, listen. Just sit quietly, just like we did at the very beginning with the daily examine. Just sit and see if he says anything to you. See if you hear anything. See if some image comes into your mind. If, if something happens, and if it does, write it down so you can do it. Because everything he tells you to do is good. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we're right in the middle of these passages on suffering. You tell us what you want us to do. Because I confess, when I am in the midst of difficulties, that is often what I say to you. What should I do? What do you want me to do? Okay, here's what you want me to do. You want me to pray? You want me to love? You want me to offer hospitality? You want me to use my gifts to serve my brothers and sisters? You want me to, to speak your words? You want me to serve in your power? Okay. I mean, I can't do these things, but you can do them through me. You can give me words to speak. You, you, can, you can give me power to serve. You can give me what I need to love people who are hard to love. You, you can enable me to pray. You can do all these things in us. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to them. Where do you want them to act on what they have heard today? Where do you want them to pray, to love, to, to serve, to speak? Where do you want them to show hospitality? Where do you want them to use their gifts? I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that in the next few moments of silence, that you would speak to each of us so that we can hear you and we can obey you. We pray in your name, Jesus, always. Always in your name. We are yours. Amen.